2015 minor league baseball season finally your long national nightmare called winter is over especially for you guys in the northeast we had like a normal winter out here but hey jake hey jake signer of milb.com how are you I'm doing well, Tyler. How's it going out in uh, out in Colorado? Good, good. Welcome to episode number three of MILB.com's The Show Before the Show podcast. I am Tyler Bond. As Jake said, he is Jake Siner, as I said. Uh, yeah, third episode. We're already flying through. We're like uh, full-on first week of games, and um, we're, we're all set up on iTunes. You can find us on iTunes now. You can subscribe, rate, review us there. Let us know what you think. You can get in touch with us uh, via the old email machine, podcast at MILB.com. Uh, you can talk to us on Twitter as well. He's at Jake under underscore signer s-e-i-n-e-r i am at tyler mon and of course minor league baseball is on twitter at m-i-l-b as well and uh we're recording this like middle of the day on tuesday the 14th we've already had a fun day minor league baseball ways we've already had like all-star matchups on m-i-l-b tv today yeah and that rolls us right into the strike one in our three strike segment big matchup on m-i-l-b.tv today was the tulsa drillers against the corpus christi hooks that pitted dodgers prospect Corey seager against Astros prospect Carlos Correa. Both guys came through, put on a show, both hit home runs. Seager caught a changeup early in the game and hit one out. Uh, Correa caught a slider a little bit later in the game off the, the Tulsa closer, and he put one out. Uh, we're doing a story, working on a story right now on Corey Seager's just off to an absurd start to this season. Uh, his first six games, he's 14 for 24, two extra base hits. That's a 583 batting average, a 13-10 OPS. Uh, Corey Seager turns out pretty good. That is ridiculous. And when you match him up with Carlos Correa on the other side, there is so much talent in Texas League this year. That game, that was a heck of a fun game to watch today. Yeah, yeah, it was it was good viewing. An interesting thing is they're actually the in Double A now. They are shifting Corey Seager really, on, on a, which is right. Which is clearly it's not working. I don't know. I can't do the Bapit math that quick. But fourteen for twenty four, he has just one strikeout. I think just one strikeout and no walks. So 560 OBP, I don't think they're really doing a whole lot to, to slow down Corey Seager. I think he's hit a little bit too hard. Maybe shifted defenses to, to handle the left-handed hitter. That is, and it, this is a topic for another day, but it's interesting. We are starting to see defensive shifts more in the minor leagues. I know the New Hampshire Fisher Cats did it. I saw a picture from uh, from one of their games the other day in the Eastern League. We're starting to see that more in the minors, which is getting to be really interesting. But uh, a couple of those guys, obviously, off the huge starts. Corey Seager's start is ridiculous. Another guy is really starting to heat up on our, uh, our first strike of our three-strike segment. Byron Buxton's really starting to get going on a Chattanooga team, Jake, that we talked a lot about last week, who's just loaded with talent. Yeah, it was a little bit of a slow start for him, uh, but really the last two or three days now he's come along. Uh, he started, he was, what, one for four his first game, 0 for five his second game, finally hit his first home run on Sunday in a one for five game, and then broke out last night with a four for six outing on, on Monday night. I had a double, a triple, finished a home run shy of the cycle. He's got the average up to 208. Uh, we talked a little bit, I think, last week, maybe even the week before, about how Buxton was uh, admitted to feeling a little bit rusty and feeling like his swing was a little bit off in spring training. Uh, he's got hits in three straight games now, and he's racked up, what, 12 bases in that time, uh, three extra base hits. It, it seems like Byron Buxton might be back to doing Byron Buxton things, uh, possibly, uh, possibly to stay, and that's good news for Twins fans. We're hoping to see him get to the majors at some point this season if he's going to be able to shake off those cobwebs in the, the first couple weeks of the season. You know, that's one of the things that Terry Ryan, the Twins general manager, said before the season started this year. He said it's not out of the question for both Byron Buxton and Miguel Sano to make their major league debuts this year. Obviously, both of them missed pretty much the entire season last year. Buxton played a little bit, but it's good to see, especially for Buxton, it's good to see him knocking the rust off because Sano, we knew the injury, Tommy John, it's going to take a little while to get back, but Buxton, it was so many different things, so it's been it's been 
been good to see him acting and playing healthy so far this season. Strike two, left-handed pitcher and number 12 Tampa Bay Rays prospect Blake Snell has started off fantastically this year. Uh, Both Jake and I have actually already talked to Blake. I talked to him last week after a start in which he struck out 10 over six innings. And his first outing of the year was actually a rehab appearance on the heels, or it was a, a relief appearance on the heels of Drew Smiley's rehab appearance. But Blake Snell improved command, gave me a really interesting quote last week where he said, this offseason, I really just realized this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. So I applied kind of a newfound sense of maturity to it. He's a lot of fun to talk to and a kid who's had a lot of success so far this season. Yeah, and I talked to him after he made his second appearance today, and he was again coming in after Smiley. Um, they, they threw another shutout today, the two of them with one of the relievers. They joked with them that uh, maybe maybe Tampa would be best off just promoting the two of them together to the majors. <laughs> take you back there. Uh, but, yeah, talk to Snell a little bit more about what's gone into bringing that command along. He's only walked two guys now through 11 innings. Last year he walked like four and a half batters per nine innings. The year before he was walking like six or seven a game. Um, and he said one of the big things is, is sort of mentally he's been clearing his head a little more, but also when he's looking in at home plate, he's not. he found himself looking at the batter a lot in the past, and he's making himself really hone in and focus in on the glove instead, which is an interesting adjustment. It's not necessarily a physical adjustment i was wondering if there's gonna be something more mechanical there and it sounds like there's not it sounds like it's really just the, the case of a, a young kid he was a 2011 first rounder out of out of high school and, and just finally now at age was he 22 just putting it together mentally and and, and figuring out you know you mentioned the prioritizing and, and deciding it's what he wants to do but just figuring out how to get the ball in the strike zone and that's really good news because it's a kid with an easy plus fastball uh, the breaking ball is flash plus at times the changeup is pretty good um just based on, on reports you read and and got a, a bunch of swings and misses on the curveball today. He actually had a four strikeout inning in the seventh inning too. On a, he just threw a curveball that neither the hitter nor the catcher can handle, um, and they both swung and missed. Uh, so the, the breaking ball is, is something that's coming along for him this year, too, along with that command. Always a handful of guys every year that you talk to and you really enjoy talking to for whatever reason. And Blake was one of those guys for me last year because he, I mean, the, the same sort of thing there where you say he told you that last year he was focusing a lot on the hitter and not on the catcher. That's something you don't hear from a lot of guys who are that open and maybe not even a question of being open, but are just that able to quantify, all right, here was an issue that I really didn't like having last year, so this is what I did to correct it. So many guys talk about just things mechanically whatever it is but that's a really interesting thing to hear last year he i remember told me that at times on the mound he looks like he's bored he looks like he would rather be anywhere else in the world doing anything else in the world but those are the moments where he's the most focused where it looks to everybody else like he has no care in the world of what's going on around him that's when he's most zoned in blake snell's a fun guy to watch and speaking of guys who have kind of taken a step forward from last year, another one who I talked to yesterday made his debut on Sunday is Brandon Klein with the Orioles. Uh, Klein is an interesting guy. He was a second-round pick in 2012 out of uh, out of Virginia, out of UVA, and really hadn't gotten his pro career off to the best start. He was injured for pretty much all of 2013. He came back last year. Uh, his fastball was sitting 90, 89, up to maybe 94 when he really reached back. His slider and his changeup were kind of just okay. The results for him uh, split between Frederick and, and Bowie. Uh, Class A advance and double A were just okay. And this year he's come out of the gate, and all of a sudden he's sitting 93 to 97. He's hit a couple 98s. There have been reports of that. Um, I, I gave him a call just to kind of find out what had happened. It turns out that he is getting the same boost that teammate and also former UVA uh, teammate Tyler Wilson, who's now also with the Orioles, got last year so what happened was tyler wilson between the 2013 and 2014 season he went back to uva and spent the winter working with carl coon who is the pitching coach at uva 
and Kuhn put them on a special weighted heavy ball program where they throw, some listeners might be familiar with this, they're these colored heavy balls that come in at different weights. They're, some are a few ounces heavier than, than regular baseball, some are, are quite a few ounces heavier, and there's different balls at different weights, and there's a program that Kuhn has that he's adopted that sort of has guys work out with these balls, throwing these balls, and it's all based on how, what their velocity currently is, um, you kind of how they built up. So Klein talked to Wilson about this last year at spring training in 2014, and then he saw Wilson go on to have by far the best year of his career at age 24. Wilson ended up winning the uh, Orioles Pitcher of the Year work. So Klein spent this offseason working at UVA, said there was like 12 or 15 uh, UVA products who all went back and worked with Kuhn on this throwing program, on this heavy ball program. And Klein has been probably the, the best pupil, seen the best results of anybody out of that program. His fastballs jumped three to, to five miles an hour, kind of depending on how you're looking at it. Um, and his slider has come a long way, too. So he had a really good debut on, on Sunday, struck out a bunch of hitters. Uh, his command has come along. Uh, there's been some talk uh, about him cleaning up his delivery. He kind of downplayed uh, how much he's adjusted his delivery. But um, it seems like the heavy ball thing, certainly for him, has his velocity tipping up. And, and a guy who's sitting 93 to 97 as a starting pitcher with improving command an improving slider and a better changeup. He's all of a sudden becoming a guy. I think he's only ranked number 23 uh, in the Orioles system, according to MLB.com. Looks like a guy who has put himself in position to really rise uh, in the rankings and, and, and through that system maybe get to Baltimore at some point this year. You know, and it's a good thing to hear, too, because we hear so much about guys who are seeing decreases in fastball velocity. Obviously, the biggest one probably at the major league level is Jared Weaver, who's lost five and a half miles an hour on his fastball dating back to 2010. So it's good to see guys who are building it in the opposite direction and are going through kind of different roads to do that, too. It's always fascinating to hear. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more uh, later on kind of about a different hitting school of thought for a story that we had on MILB.com this week. But it's interesting that a lot of these coaches and the youth programs and colleges and all that kind of stuff have their different modes of getting guys to be a little bit quicker with a fastball, a little more velocity, a little you know stronger to go deeper into games. And uh, it's always intriguing to hear how everybody has a, a different view, a different school of thought on everything. And uh, that quickly gets us out of three strikes this week. Coming up next... We've got a, uh, an interesting interview with one Chris Smith, former uh, independent league pitcher, former Australian baseball league pitcher, and now a once-in-future New York Yankee. Jake's going to sit down with Chris next. We hear a lot of really interesting stories about guys who find their way to affiliated baseball through routes that you would not ordinarily even know exist and one of those guys is Chris Smith and Jake you had a really great story about Chris Smith last year and he's already had a very interesting 2015 season uh, over the last couple of weeks but take us through uh, who Chris Smith is and and who people are going to hear from this week on the show yeah so you mentioned we hear a lot of strange stories about the things that the guys will do to to stay in pro ball the the links they'll go to I think Smith's story is probably um Certainly the most uh, absurd that I've heard of those, the things he's done. I think he's been cut by two different independent league teams. He graduated college thinking he wasn't going to play pro ball. He was just an outfielder when he went to college at Kentucky Wesleyan. And uh, his coach, he threw a couple innings out of the bullpen during the season. And one of his coaches said, hey, I think maybe you could latch on with a pro team. You want to go to a tryout? And he was, he just kind of said, yeah, sure, whatever, and went and did it. And that has launched this years-long uh stretch now where he's trying to break his way into pro ball and really broke out with the Yankees a little bit last year. He had a 2.70 ERA with uh, with Class A Advanced Tampa and got all the way through the spring training, got put on the AA Trenton roster, and then on the last day of camp, after he'd already been told he was going to Trenton, uh, was handed his release papers by the Yankees 
um, and, and he kind of gets to tell the story from there when we go through the, the podcast, and we'll let him do uh, tell you a little bit more about his background and, and about his path, but he's now back with the Yankees. They re-signed him a week later. He's in extended spring training, and remarkably positive through the whole thing. Um, just just a guy who clearly has been through so much and, and so much adversity is a word he uses a lot. Um, really appreciates just the chance to be even in extended spring training right now, making you know pennies on the dollar for, or making pennies just being a, a minor league baseball player and couldn't couldn't be happier to be there. So I think definitely a story that if you're you're looking for somebody around the minors to root for, somebody who's been through a lot, he's uh, he's an interesting guy, and I'll have to let him tell you uh, his full story. It's Jake Siner and Chris Smith here on MILB.com's The Show Before the Show. Chris, we are uh, happy to have you with uh, with us. How you doing? I'm doing well, Jake. Uh, thanks for having me. It's, uh, I know we haven't talked in about a year or so, so it's good to hear from you again. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we first uh, met on the phone last year. I talked to you for a story I did uh, kind of chronicling. It was it was a little uh, less than a year ago. You made your first professional appearance in an affiliated ball with the, the Yankees. Um, and you've had some, some news recently. But before we dive into that, I actually just wanted to start by asking if you could kind of recount um, the, the long and windy road that led you to the New York Yankees, led you to making your, your affiliated debut last year, uh, kind of how you got started in baseball, what you were doing, and how you got noticed by the Yankees. Yeah, um, well, I mean, it's, it's a long story. Uh, I mean, if anybody read the story that you wrote last year, it's, uh, it's an exciting story, you know, and it's, uh, I've had to overcome some adversity, but um, straight out of college, uh, I was a position player in college, and then uh, I was a closer for our team and as well coming out of center field and uh, closing out games and I was close to just hanging up baseball and then uh, my pitching coach Paxton Carter came to me and was like hey Chris like don't you think you need to do something with that army guy you know like uh, I feel like there's some opportunities in professional baseball and I was like well I'm taking it he's like what are you planning on doing I was like well I'm taking the GRE next week Uh, and then I was planning on going to grad school but I was like I tell you what, if you can find me a workout, then I'll go to a workout and we'll go from there. Well, uh, he found me this workout for the Frontier League. It's like an invite for anybody. It's $60 to do it. There's like 350 people there. Um, I went to it. I pitched well, and each team's required to pretty much like draft two players at the end of uh, everything. And yeah, just just so, so people listening know, the Frontier League's an independent league, um, one, one right. of the better independent leagues, right? Yep, and um, I was there, and then uh, the Lake Erie Crushers ended up signing me out of that. Uh, pretty much just an invite to spring training. Um, I went to spring training, did well there as well, and then uh, came down to the first weekend, and uh, my manager at the time told me, like, hey, Chris, like, just take after the kind of the the older guys are going to be. Uh, you're going to eventually get in the get in there, and so it was the top of the ninth inning in the first opening weekend. You know, I hadn't thrown in more than in front of more than probably 400, 500 people because I went to a really small Division two school. And uh, opening weekend, you know, it's sold out. There's 4,000 people there, and I get called to come in the game in the ninth inning with a game tie. And needless to say, it wasn't the best inning that I've ever had. Uh, I ended up giving up a grand slam, which is pretty sad but then I, I remember I came in I sat down in the dugout after the inning and obviously I wasn't happy and Chris Steinborn was my pitching coach at the time and he tapped me on the leg and he's like hey welcome to professional baseball and I was like yeah no kidding and he's like Chris he's like don't worry about it we're going to get you back out there uh, just keep your head up keep working and we'll get you out there as soon as we can so then I was like okay okay I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get another opportunity well 
two days later, we were packing up to go to Kalamazoo for a series, and then uh, I came in after the last game to pack up my stuff, you know, and next thing I noticed, I'm looking around, I'm like, who's got my bag, you know, like, where's my, where's my BT, my BP top, where's my BP shorts, and uh, next thing I know, uh, it hit me, and I was like, man, I'm about to get released after throwing one inning, so, um, so I went and got in the shower, came out, Steinborn came up, and was like, hey, Chris, Maz wants to talk to you in his office, and I went in, and talked to Mazzarelli and he just said that they were bringing some affiliate guys in and there weren't really any spots for me and I was kind of the last person in the bullpen so the numbers game kind of got me and uh so I got released after throwing one inning uh which was which was a pretty big shock to me you know like especially because I always felt like you know like I was one of the better players on my team and then to hear a team that doesn't want me was uh it was extremely challenging to me um, so then I went home, you know, I emailed each team in the Frontier League, you know, I was like, I was like, somebody's got to give me a shot, and nobody called me the entire season. So I went home, got a job, was working at a place called Urban Active as a fitness consultant, and uh, and then the team, ironically, that I threw that one inning against called me and was like, Chris, you know, like, we were wondering where you've been, like, all year, and blah 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 and said we'd like for you to come up for a workout in november up in indianapolis so i said sure sounds good i'll give this whole professional baseball thing another go around and so went up to indianapolis through well they signed me to a contract um basically once again like an invite to spring training um in spring training they brought in i think close to like 30 30 to 35 arms for like 12 to 13 pitcher spots so uh it was a pretty uh, pretty competitive spring training. I ended up making the team. Um, and then, once again, I, I went out, and I was kind of the back end of the bullpen, and uh, I threw five innings and 20 games. And they were both, like, 10 games apart. So it was uh, my two outings that I had were 10 games apart. So pretty tough to get in a groove with that. And then um, we had a 16-hour bus ride back home uh, from River City. And I get off the bus, and manager called me in, and, I was like, Chris, you know, like, uh, we're going to be bringing in some affiliated guys. Like, we really appreciate your hard work, but um, we're going to have to go another way. And so, once again, I'm released, don't have a job, and uh, I'm up in Traverse City, Michigan, and I'm calling teams like crazy. I'm trying to figure out where I can go, and no teams are obviously hitting me because I have no track record. I went through, like, 14 innings in college, so I hadn't had any innings or anything under my belt. So then, uh, so then next thing I know, I go home, and one of my buddies was playing out in the Pecos League, just kind of like a, a, a lower-end independent league, and uh, he said that an opportunity might arise out there. So next thing I know, I get a I get a phone call after being home for two weeks from uh, a guy named Keith uh, Esray from uh, the White Sands Pupfish, and uh, and they're based out of Alamogordo, New Mexico. And yeah, I've never even heard of that town before. Uh, Next thing I know, he says, you know, Chris, we'd like to have you out here. So, like I said, I got on a plane on the next day, flew out there, um, had really good success. I finally got uh, an opportunity to be a starter. And uh, I think in my first game, I went like – I threw a complete game, my first game of ever starting. Of like, and I threw like 130 pitches. And I had like 13 Ks and like one hit. And uh, it was a really good start, you know, and I think that's kind of what kick-started my career and then – I think I threw like another 
four or five outings there in, in three weeks. And then, ironically, one of the teams that I threw against out of those five innings I threw with Traverse City Beach Bums, uh, the Washington Wild Things wanted me. So uh, the manager at the time was Darren Everson. He called me and said, hey, we're looking kind of for a sixth starter. we got a lot of games coming up, um, so we'd like for you to come up here. So I went to the Washington Wild Things back in the Frontier League, um, finished the year in 2011 there. And then in 2012, they renewed my contract. I came back. Um, I had a really good season. I was uh, the ace of our team, you know, and we kind of we had a really good staff. And then nobody ended up, like no affiliated team ended up signing me out of uh, the Frontier League. And my manager at the time was a guy named Chris Bando. And I told him that I wanted to play winter ball because, you know, like I was having such a good year and it flew by for me. And then um, – Bando had a contact out in Australia named David Nielsen, and David flew me out there. Uh, I had to kind of prove myself to uh, to the Australian Baseball League, baseball league, which is the professional league out there, because uh, obviously I was an independent ball. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a league sponsored by Major League Baseball. So, like I said, I went out there and played club ball, um, and I threw about 50 innings there, and then I guess I proved myself and uh, threw my personal hitter there, which was pretty cool. And then, um, then I went to the ABL, had a really good season. Uh, once again, uh, I was approached by the Houston Astros at one point, and they were like, hey, Chris, you know, just keep on throwing good games. Like, you're going to get an opportunity, and kept going. And then, <laughs> and then the next game, I ended up breaking the ABL strikeout record. I had, like, 15 in a game, and my, my family and my girlfriend was there, so it was really exciting to kind of have all them there to kind of see that and also I was like man I was like I'm, I'm going to be a Houston Astro and then um, the next day that scout came up to me and was like Chris you know like you had a heck of a performance last night but unfortunately like we have too many arms we're bringing in spring training so uh, um, we're not going to be able to sign until at least six in the spring training and so I was like well you know like it was kind of a shocker to me once again and and then he said, but I'm going to do everything I can to try and see if I can find a way for you to get signed out here. And then I got a call from a scout named John Wadsworth, and uh, he said that he's going to send all my information over to the Yankees, and he wouldn't guarantee me anything but to see if maybe I get an opportunity. And then uh, a week and a half later, got a phone call from a guy named Alex Cotto. He called me and said, Chris, uh, how would you like to be a New York Yankee? And, I mean, I was almost brought to tears with it, you know, I was – it's, it's, it was a dream come true, you know. I mean, that's all those cliches, you know. I was, but I was like, I was really moved by it. And uh, I said, sounds good. Send me over the contract. And uh, two and a half weeks later, after I got back home from Australia, I showed up to spring training with the Yankees. Um, and then, unfortunately, on that first year, I had that stress fracture in my forearm. And I, I missed all 2013 because uh, 2012, I threw about 230 innings uh, between independent ball and Australia, so missed that year, and then last year was kind of my first pool season, and uh, uh, like I said, I felt like I had a pretty good year, and then uh, it's a new year, and so here I sit now. <laughs> yeah, so I haven't really talked to you <laughs> too much since uh, we talked, I think it was right after your first appearance with Class A Charleston last year. Uh, you ended up spending, right. splitting the year between Class A Charleston and Class A Advanced Tampa. What was that experience like, and how did that experience playing in the, the lower levels of the, the affiliated minor leagues compare with being in some of the independent leagues you played in as far as the 
not just the the game and how that was different, but the you know transporting between games, the you know the fan bases and things. How how was that different uh, than what you'd done previously? Yeah, um, well, I mean to be honest with you, you know, a lot of people aren't too familiar with independent leagues. You know, it's it's really hard to explain to people like what an independent team is, uh, but like. There's so much. There's so much talent in independent ball, and you know, like everybody in that, uh, in those organizations in independent ball, are, are looking for an opportunity like I got. Um, but the talent level, I'm telling you, like there are there are teams in the Frontier League that that could definitely compete with teams in affiliated ball. You know, and just some of those guys that don't get the opportunity, maybe they're too old, uh, maybe they're not throwing hard enough, or uh, they just don't have the tools, or they're former affiliated players, but. Uh, but at the same time, uh, there's there's an incredible amount of talent there. Um, and then going to Charleston for my first time, I mean, I threw in front of 5,000 fans, you know, and it was just, it was, they have such a great atmosphere in Charleston. Like, the fans are fantastic. They're in the game from, from one through nine. And um, it's, I mean, it was it was a heck of an experience, you know, and, and I had a little bit of success there, you know, and then when I got the call to come to Tampa, you know, it was kind of a shocker because, I mean, I, I came up a home run in back-to-back games in Charleston, and I was just like, I thought I was on the verge of getting released again, you know, because because uh, independent ball might be a little bit more uh, cutthroat than affiliated ball because in independent ball they're they're not about developing players; they're about winning. Um, it's, there's no there's no like minor league system for independent ball, so like I said, they're all about wins. Um, but I got. <laughs> my trainer came up to me and he said, Chris, uh, the manager wants to talk in his office. And he had a straight face and we were in Hickory. And I was like, oh gosh, here we go. Here goes a, I, I honestly felt like I was getting released. And I walked in and and uh, Durante, which was my manager, said, hey Chris, we're sending you up to Tampa. And I was like, really? <laughs> and, uh, and he was like, yeah, uh, they want you there tomorrow. So, uh, so then I joined our Tampa Yankee team in the Florida State League, and um, I, it's so funny. The, my first outing there, I gave up a home run through. So I'm just like spinning in my head, like, when is this ever gonna stop? You know, I was like, oh, I've never experienced this. I've, I've experienced adversity, obviously, but like not as much adversity on um, like the baseball field in consecutive games. And uh, then I met with our uh, mental conditioning coach and. Uh, a coach down here, Justin Polk, and they uh, got my mind right, basically, and I put confidence in me, and then I went out and felt like I finished the year pretty strong. Yeah, looking at the, the numbers, it looks like it was a pretty successful season for you. It was 43 and a third innings at Tampa. You had a 2.70 ERA, uh, struck out almost a batter an inning, just 12 walks. But when you finished the season, what was the conversation like with the Yankees as far as coming back for spring training this year, and what was the experience like in spring training? Uh, I mean, going through your first, you know, affiliated spring training, or not first, I guess, first affiliated spring training, going through it with the, the Yankees this year. Yeah, um, well, I mean, at the end of the year, my, my pitching coach was Danny Burrell, um, fantastic person. He he taught me so much, you know, like he was very hands-on with us there, watching video, showing up early, working with us. He actually caught our pins. So, uh, which to him I'm sure was scary at sometimes, but um, but no, he at the end of the year, you know, like it's I ended my year, I gave up a three-run homer to the Cubs, the Daytona Cubs, and so I was obviously 
pretty mad about that last outing, especially that's how it went out. But, you know, Danny came up to me and was like, Chris, uh, what happened in this last outing? And I want you to realize that it doesn't depict your entire season. You've had a great year with us, you know, and you've opened up a lot of eyes within the organization, you know, and he was like, we should feel really good, and this should just fuel you for coming into spring training next year. So the end of the year evaluations, you know, I, I felt like I got a really fair one with Danny. You know, he he felt like my pitches had progressed a lot. Um, he said that uh, some of my pitches were major league caliber. So, uh, it, it, like I said, it really motivated me to come in the next camp in the best shape I could. So I got a trainer in the off season by the name of Eric Hammer, and he really worked with me really well. And uh, I showed up to camp uh, in shape, feeling good. Um, I I knew I was competing for a spot, you know. I mean, there's only a certain amount of spots within affiliate organizations, and I knew I was competing for a spot, and I actually had a really, really good spring, and then uh, kind of got some bad news on the last day, you know, and um, right before I was getting ready to break for camp. But, uh, but no, I felt like I came in prepared, and everything was everything went well. I think I only gave up two hits in spring, um, but it just uh, I felt I felt prepared coming in. Yeah, you alluded to the the bad news. So the way I understand this, and I want to know if you can explain it a little clearer, but you were cut by the Yankees on the last day of camp, and then you re-signed with them just this past week. Is that right? Uh, yes, that's correct. It's uh, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster week. Um, I was uh, I was about uh, five minutes. I felt uh, I think Friday the rosters came out, not this Friday, but the previous one rosters came out while I was in spring training. Um, I was on the Trenton roster, um, so. I was uh, slated to go there. I was super excited. And then um, Sunday I had an outing um, through through finding the outing. And then uh, about five minutes before I was about to hit the road, I got the news that uh, that there wasn't going to be a roster spot for me. And uh, it was a pretty tough pill to swallow. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's not the first adversity I've came over, you know, or across. And so uh, I... I thanked them for the opportunity, you know. Um, I didn't, like I said, they they gave me the opportunity even after I got hurt. So, and it's and baseball is a business, you know, and and I understood that, and uh, so I kind of just packed up my stuff and uh, came home for about a week, and then uh, I actually was just about to sign with a uh, an affiliated or not affiliated, but an independent team in the American Association League, the St. Paul Saints, and Saturday I sent that in and uh like my contract and everything and then next thing i know danny actually texted me and was like hey bud what's up and i just was like you know uh not much is hanging out at home um kind of wish i was pitching right now but you know it's kind of the hand i'm dealt and then about 10 seconds later i got a call from eric schmidt and uh they said that they had some innings for me so um next thing i know the next day i flew down to tampa which was sunday and here I am now. <laughs> so is the plan for you to head back to Trenton now? Did a spot open up there, and that's where you're going to fill in? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, to be honest with you, you know, he, he said some innings open. We we didn't really clarify, you know. Like, basically where I'm at right now is I'm trying to uh, get my arm in shape uh, for because I, I missed that week. So basically what they want me to do is, like I said, I threw a bullpen today. Um, I'm getting a day off tomorrow, and then Thursday – I'll be throwing in an extended spring training game, and then uh, we're kind of kind of come up with a schedule from there. And then 
I'm assuming when a spot opens up, uh, it could be anywhere, you know, like I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you exactly where I'm going to go because I don't even know. So uh, wherever they would put me, I'm just, I'm super excited to be given another opportunity because I know, I, I don't know how many times this happens, you know, and for me to get a second opportunity with the same organization is just, I'm, I'm, I'm related to be able to be in this spot, you know, and, uh, and I think, uh, the only reason why I'm getting this shot is maybe because of my performance that I did have in spring training and um, the relationships that I did build throughout the years here. And it's just, it's a class act organization and they treated me fairly, you know, they've been upfront and honest with me and it's just, I'm just so happy to be back here. It is a, a tough road for the guys that aren't early round picks getting recognized in the minor leagues. I don't think anybody knows that better than our guest today, Chris Smith. Chris, back with the Yankees. We're uh, going to be rooting for you this season. Certainly hoping to get to stick around and, and keep making your way. Uh, if you want to follow Chris on Twitter, he is at at C underscore Smitty, S-M-I-T-T-Y, C underscore Smitty 5. Chris, we appreciate you taking the time to join us, and best of luck going through the season. No problem. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's always a good time to talk to you. Thanks again to, to Chris Smith for joining us. I uh, hope you enjoyed that story. We're going to segue now from a minor leaguer you probably have not heard of to one that I am sure you have. I uh, wrote a story on the site yesterday, Ashley Marshall did for us, on Chris Bryant going three for three. We've got some really interesting quotes from his hitting coach at AAA Iowa, Brian Harper, talking about some of the unique things about Bryant's swing, and they really tied in well with the story, Tyler, that you wrote for the site last week, talking about Chris Bryant and Joey Gallo and their unique background. I wonder if you can tell us a little about what uh, what Harper's quotes evoked for you about the, the Bryant and Gallo story. Yeah, it was uh, really interesting to read what Brian Harper had to say. Uh, his quote, the the one that kind of hit me with, with Ash's story last night, is, quote, he pretty much has a different swing than anybody I've ever seen, Harper talking about Chris Bryant. He's continued and said, quote, he tries to hit fly balls. His goal is to hit the ball in the air. You don't see that too much because some players want to keep the ball out of the air, but Chris is a big kid with a lot of leverage. And I thought that was really interesting because I did a story last week talking about uh, both Chris Bryant and Joey Gallo, top Cubs prospect, top Rangers prospect, and how they grew up together in Las Vegas. Their dads coached together. They were friends. Uh, It's kind of an age difference. Actually, Chris is the same age as Joey's older brother, but – they played, you know, around each other. They didn't play a lot on the same team, but they were always over at the at the Bryant house on the weekends hitting in the cages, did a lot of work together growing up, and that's the way they were taught. Mike Bryant, who is Chris Bryant's father, taught them based on a 1971 book by Ted Williams called The Science of Hitting to, quote, hit the ball hard and hit it in the air. So that's what I thought was really interesting is Brian Harper. I'm, I have zero doubt that Brian Harper probably did not get a chance to read my story. It was a busy week last week for minor league coaches, but he described the exact way that Mike Bryant had talked about what those guys were taught. It's not this whole swing for the top of the ball, hit the ball on the ground, hit it somewhere hard, hit the top half. For the Bryant family and for, by extension, the Gallo family, it was swing with a little bit of angle on your bat coming up with the ball, meet the ball on an even plane, and hit it hard in the air somewhere. And I thought 
that was most illuminating was to hear Brian Harper say that about Chris Bryant. 43 homers last year. Tony uh, Joey Gallo had 42. Uh, they Those two guys are doing something right now. I don't know if I want to call it revolutionary, but I think it's going to change a lot of the way that people look at how you teach hitters how to hit. Because obviously they're giants. They're 6'5". They're big dudes. But even before they were that big, as Chris's dad told me, they were still hitting a lot of home runs. They were still hitting the ball very far. So I thought that was really interesting that it's something that not only is is Mike Bryant obviously very proud of and Chris and Joey are very proud of, but now the coaches have started to take notice too that, hey, this is this is a kid who's doing something different and he's having a lot of success with it. Yeah, that's interesting. You mentioned the the revolution of that. I think that's something that, that's sort of happening at the major league level already. You think about what's happening with the Blue Jays with Edwin Encarnacion and Jose Batista. Uh, both guys who kind of they they both adjusted their swings. I'm thinking specifically Batista just really put a lot more loft in their swings and kind of you know you hear coaches say don't go to swinging for the fences. It seems like the two of them really do swing for the fences. And I don't know that the Bryant and Gallo necessarily, especially Bryant. Are, are swinging for the fences as much, but you can see it in their swings that there's a lot more natural loft there. Uh, the thing that Ted Williams in, in the book you, you mentioned, he talks about how when the pitch is coming into the zone, it's coming down on a downward trajectory. So you want to get the bat going on a path where it's meeting it on that same plane, um, which is an interesting thing, and it's different. Just I know growing up as a youth player and playing travel leagues and things, one thing that coaches preached to me a lot, and I think was pretty common for people my age, I'm 25 now, is they talked a lot about hitting down on the ball. And it seems like this is very counter to that and to something that was preached by a lot of people for a long time. So that's right. I think that is interesting. I think that might be something that we're going to see starting to change, especially if these two have so much success in the majors. The other thing I want to ask about, too, is just it's so interesting that the Bryant and Gallo, they grew up both in Las Vegas and the families got close. Their dads, I think you said, were both baseball baseball guys. They both played in college and maybe a little bit in the pros. How did they, they come to meet and like how did this whole – like, how did the two of them get to be so close and, and have such an influence on each other? It's a pretty crazy story. They did both play professionally. Mike Bryant was drafted by the Red Sox and uh, I believe, 1980. Uh, six years before that, Tony Gallo actually signed just as a free agent with the Expos. Uh, but Tony didn't play very long. He kind of didn't really like being away from home. It's obviously a very, very different culture back then in minor league baseball and how far away you are from home in 1974 is a lot farther than nowadays where you can hop on Skype and you're at home in the next three seconds. Um, so so he didn't play for very long. Mike Bryan only played for a couple of seasons. And these two guys both ended up in Las Vegas. And one day, Mike goes to watch a, uh, a game in which his son is playing. And on Chris's team was Joey Gallo's older brother, Anthony. And coaching, part of the coaching staff for that team, was Tony Gallo, a former Expos pitcher and father now of, you know, a guy who breaks windshields on trucks during batting practice at the Futures game uh, and Joey Gallo. And so they kind of got to talking. And one of my favorite quotes uh, throughout this entire story, and I tracked down both Mike Bryant and Tony Gallo, uh, but one of my favorite quotes was listening to Mike Bryant. He talked about how as soon as he and Tony started talking on the field, the other two coaches who were a part of the team kind of realized, yeah, we're not going to be coaching anymore. <laughs> like they could see the bond that Mike and Tony had and they just kind of left and let Mike and Tony do it themselves. So Mike and Tony built basically a youth baseball empire that a team called the Las Vegas Ballbusters that was one of the premier youth teams uh, in that region and really nationally. And I mean, they talked about, and I talked to both Joey and Chris about this, they'd go to tournaments in Las Vegas or in Phoenix or in California or in Texas. And because they were a Vegas team, most people thought like Vegas, who plays baseball in Vegas, but they'd go out and they'd roll teams because they were extremely talented and they were very differently coached. So it's almost one of those serendipitous things where Mike and Tony just ended up on the same field 
old one day, and now here we are 15 years later with each of their sons on the doorstep of the major leagues as two of the premier power hitters, not just in the minor leagues, but in all the baseball. I mean, Chris led all of professional baseball in home runs last year. He hit more than Nelson Cruz did. Uh, so it's it's really interesting the way that those two have come together and the fact that they've done something that, that is somewhat revolutionary. And I'm the same way. I mean, when I was a kid, it was always hit the top half of the ball, hit the ball on the ground, try to put it hard somewhere on the ground. It was never swing up. And I don't think that Mike Bryan is going out there and saying, like, take an uppercut and try to hit home runs. But he comes at it from the approach of what Ted Williams said, where when you pick up a baseball bat for the first time, that's your natural finish is above your shoulders. You want to swing that way. So meet the baseball in that plane and it's going to go a long way. Uh, but it's it's a very illuminating story about not just the sons, but the fathers and the way that they kind of found, I think, kindred spirits in each other. And they really use that to propel their kids onto some pretty great things so far already. Yeah, and the way Harper described it, I think, really succinctly kind of wrapped up everything that was in, in your story. And talking about how it, it almost looks like Chris Bryant has a loopy sp- swing, but it really, it's not. It's, it's just perfectly geared to stay in the zone for a long time, hit the ball with a little bit of loft. Um, if you haven't, I, I, I think we run a lot of good stories on our, our website, but the, the story Tyler did about Bryant and Gallo and their families is, is one of the best pieces of reporting we've had. So I, I definitely recommend you go and, and check that out and, and check out Ashley Marshall's story with the, the Bryant Harper quotes, too. I think the two of them are Chris Bryant's a guy who's going to be in the majors real soon. If you want to know sort of what to look for with him and his swing, I think those two are going to give you a really good primer to to get you uh, ready to watch him launch some balls in, in Wrigley Field. And if you're ever in a ballpark where either he or Joey Gallo is taking batting practice, get there early enough to see it ah. because – Holy cow. Joey Gallo's batting practice. The only batting practice I've seen that compares to Joey Gallo is Josh Hamilton. And that Gallo was like watching a human being from another planet. So we'll just leave it at that. Uh, so that, that's one of the, the features that we've had on the site over the last couple of weeks. We've had a lot of good stuff in the run-up to opening day, so go check it all out at MILB.com. Again, MILB.com is the show before the show podcast. You can find us on iTunes. You can subscribe, rate, and review there, and you can get in touch with us on uh, on Twitter and over email as well, podcast at MILB.com. And we'll shift gears a little bit, and we'll go on the road with our good pal Benjamin Hill. Ben's road trips underway for the 2015 season. Of course, we talked about that with him over the last couple of episodes, and uh, he's finally getting things started. And Ben traveled down to the Florida State League this week and had an interesting conversation and his visit to the Bradenton Marauders about uh, some of what life is like in Bradenton, and not just on the minor league side, but being the host complex for a major league team as well. I'm Ben Hill, live and on location for the show before the show podcast on MILB.com. And I'm joined by Trevor Gooby, the Senior Director of Florida Operations for the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates. Yep, that's and, correct. And um, in that capacity, you oversee the Braden Mar- Marauders as well? Sure, I, yeah, I oversee the Marauders. It's part of my... Uh... I guess, uh, work that I do here in Bradenton. Yeah, so Pirate Spring Training, the Bradenton Marauders. There's a lot of aspects of your job we could talk about, I'm sure. But I wanted to talk about one anecdote that I'm sure you've told dozens, if not hundreds of times before. And this was three years ago. You were doing your job, a lot of people at the ballpark, hustling around, and uh, something unexpected happened. And and what was that? Well, it was pretty crazy. We were doing uh, basically a open house for our season ticket holders to get ready for spring training um, and a woman went into labor and uh, within 10 minutes she actually had the baby here at the ballpark and and I was the uh, catcher if you will of, of that baby 
So, at what point do you were you there when she started? Did you get a call over the walkie-talkie? There's a woman going into labor. How did you come on the scene in this situation? Yeah. So my job is I'm kind of all around the stadium, so I was walking around the stadium, greeting people, saying hello, checking on some things that were working or what weren't, wasn't working, and an usher came over to us and said, hey, I'm, I'm going, uh, there's a woman here that's uh, going to have a baby. And I was so busy that I thought he was talking about his daughter, not um, someone actually in the stadium. So I said, oh, congratulations. And he goes, no, not my, not my daughter. I'm talking about someone actually here at the stadium. So I walked over, and um, yeah, this woman was definitely go, having labor pains, and you know I have two kids of my own, so you know I've seen that it's not a, a quick process. Um, so I said, okay, we'll have some time. So we called the EMS, we called the ambulance. I actually wheeled her out to the front of the stadium uh, to wait for the ambulance, since our stadium is relatively close to downtown Bradenton. And within that five minutes, um, as I was actually wheeling her out in a, in a wheelchair, she said, no, this baby's happening now. So it was me and her and the baby, and she looked at me and said she had a push, and literally like one push, and the baby was out. And then it kind of went to panic mode and uh, what we were going to do next. Um, but we had the baby, the ambulance was there in the next few minutes, and uh, you know, thank goodness everything worked out fine. And you were the first person to hold this child yeah, upon was, his emergence right there. into the I was the right there. It was, it was, it was pretty crazy. And uh, like you said, it's, it's a story that I don't think many people are able to, to ex experience. And then I probably have told it, I don't know, a thousand times. And then it became kind of this like epic story. And my friends all across the country heard about it because it was on ESPN. It was in Sports Illustrated. I got my 15 minutes of fame uh, through that. Yeah, and there's two interesting postscripts to this story. Mm -hmm. One, and what was the woman's name who gave birth? So her name was Latasha Kirk, and, and she named the baby McKechnie after McKechnie Field, which is pretty crazy. And then I guess the second thing is... Now, is McKechnie a boy or girl? That seems like boy. That yeah, could go either it gender. It could go either way. It, it could go either. So yeah, McKechnie Brand is his name, and... Uh, so, yeah, someday it would be pretty cool if he's the center fielder for the Bradenton Marauders playing for um, at McKechnie Field. Um, and then the second thing is my staff kind of surprised me with a bobblehead of this uh, moment. Um, we were planning some promotions, and there was always this TBA promotion on the schedule. And uh, they got real creative and came up with this idea. And it, So it was a bobblehead of me holding the baby uh, a la Lion King style. Uh, and the arms shook, uh, catching the baby. So we had a lot of fun with it, and uh, it was definitely a memorable moment here in the almost 95-year history of McKechnie Field. I would say it's it was definitely up there. Not many babies get born at a baseball stadium. No, and, and <laughs> once you are on hand to help a woman give birth on yeah. the job, what can top that? What can you do now in your professional <sighs> career to top that? I don't know. It's I don't know if there's much. Um, during this spring training, um, we a fake pirate mascot, if you can believe it, a guy dressed up like a pirate, tried to get on the field, and I happened to be there. I happened to be in weird moments at weird times, so I happened to be there as he was trying to get on the field. So I stopped a fake pirate mascot getting on the field during a spring training game, but I don't think anything could top the baby story. I try. Yeah. <laughs> it just but goes yeah. to show in, in spring training, in minor league baseball, yeah. in life. Yeah, anything can happen. You have to be prepared. That's why I tell all the interns that they come through. I said, if you can be prepared... Uh, and be ready to deliver a baby during a baseball game, then you can do anything. So it's uh, it's definitely a, 
a neat story, and it'll go down, I think, forever. I'll always have that. It's a great story that I can, a great icebreaker that I can tell, and people still don't believe it. My parents didn't believe it when I called them and told them about it, so. But there is eternal truth in a bobblehead. No, it's 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 legit now, and, and the funny thing is the bobblehead is shown up at a lot of different locations, um, and people, it's on eBay. There's an autograph version and a non-autograph version, and the non-autograph version was like $5 more, so I don't know if that <laughs> means anything or not, but... Yeah, so that's my claim to fame, I guess. I well, there you go. Yeah. Thanks, Trevor, yeah, no for, uh, for telling the story. Yeah, and no uh, you heard it from him. Be yeah. prepared. It's the Boy Scouts <laughs> motto and the baseball motto. Yep. I'm Ben Hill for the Show Before the Show podcast. As always, a big thanks to our good pal Benjamin Hill, who is on the road in the Florida State League this week. Ben, we're recording this uh, on Tuesday the 14th. Tonight, Ben will be in Jupiter. Tomorrow, he's headed to Vero Beach for the Jackie Robinson celebration game at Historic Dodger Town, which will pit the St. Lucie Mets against the Brevard County Manatees. And he's got his, a visit to St. Lucie on the 16th. He's going to see the Manatees on the 17th. And then Jacksonville coming up on the 18th, so he'll swing in a little uh, Southern League game as well. And, uh, yeah, it's this is where you know when Ben's in the middle of a road trip, we're like full swing into the season now. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't wait long to, uh, <laughs> to get back out. Of it's office. like I can get to Florida. I'm out of here. See you guys later. <laughs> <laughs> we got uh, we got a, a few good matchups already coming up this week on uh, on MILB.TV. Yeah, and uh, well, this will be running on Thursday. So tonight, if you're looking for some good watches at 6 p.m., we have Akron at Altoona. That'll be Indians prospect Cody Anderson facing Pirates top prospect Tyler Glass. Now it's going to be a good watch, and we're really excited. This year, Julio Urias is finally in the Texas League, where we have a whole bunch of MILB.TV cameras. He's going to pitch in the night for Tulsa at San Antonio. That's at 8.05 Eastern. That's going to be what watching, I imagine, come Thursday. You and me both. That kid, he is going to be a lot of fun to watch for a lot of years. The crazy thing is, like, you hear so much about him, and he is actually the number two ranked Dodgers prospect on MLB.com's rankings because Corey Seager is that good at baseball. So the Dodgers, they spend a lot of money at the major league level. They got a ton of talent at the minor league level, too. So be on the lookout for those on, uh, on MILB.TV. And uh, check us out, obviously, here on the website if you're listening on MILB.com. Or head on over to iTunes. You can download us there. You can subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Send us an email, podcast at MILB.com. Jake is on Twitter at Jake underscore Signer. I am at Tyler Mon, and you can get in touch with all of us at MILB at MILB on Twitter. And, of course, follow uh, Benjamin Hill on his tour through the Florida State League and a little uh, stop in Jacksonville as well for a Southern League game the rest of the week. Ben's biz.mlblogs.com, or you can find him on Twitter at Ben's Biz. We're going to be back at it next week, episode number four of MILB.com's The Show Before the Show. And uh, thanks for tuning in to episode number three. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.